Welcome to the Every Voice Now podcast, where we bring voices of color into the spotlight. I'm Myla Kim. And I'm Ed Gilbreth. In every episode, you'll hear from authors of color as they share about the inspiring stories that led to the making of their books, as well as the challenges they had to endure and overcome along the way. We hope you enjoy the show. Now let's hear from today's special guests. Hey, Myla. Hey, Ed. How are you? I'm doing well, and I'm really excited and jazzed about our episode today. Well, can you tell our listeners who we talked with? Our guest is Juanita Rasmus. She's the author of Learning to Be, Finding the Center After the Bottom Falls Out, which is a great new book from IVP. I loved our conversation with Juanita. I mean, first of all, she's a preacher, so it felt like fire emojis the whole time. Yes, it was church. It was blazing in here. (laughs) It was so good. But she also talks about depression, mental health. She talks about being a Black woman in spiritual formation. I mean, she covers it all. It was such a good conversation. All of that. Plus, she's the good friend of a pretty famous music superstar. (laughs) Who could that possibly be? Ah, we shall find out. (laughs) And even more than that, I was fascinated by her making the connection between spiritual formation and Howard Thurman, who is a hero of mine. Let's jump in. This is a great episode, and I know our listeners are going to enjoy it. excited today to welcome Juanita Rasmus, author of Learning to Be, to the Every Voice Now podcast today. So welcome, Juanita. Thank you for having me. You know, we wanted to just kind of start off this podcast by asking about your ethnic background, your family, where you live, so all of that. All right. Well, I am a native Houstonian, and I am an African-American woman. I have uh, lived in Houston, as I said, all my life. I'm 59 years old, and I have enjoyed the rich diversity of living in a city like Houston, where there are, in one particular high school, there is, um, I think it's 700 languages spoken in one of our schools here in Houston. And so we're not not faking it when we say we're a diverse city. Um, And for me, that has meant that it's given me opportunities to meet people from all over the world and to have some very unique experiences. I grew up with a father who was engaged in activism for civil rights for African-Americans in our city. Um, And so certainly that left some impressions on me. I grew up with grandparents on both sides of my family who uh, were industrious in that they not only owned their own houses, but they developed rental properties on their lots so that they were able to have additional income coming in other than just my grandfather's work and my grandmothers became landlords. And so I have that sense of an entrepreneurial spirit in my blood as well. I think that has played um, well for my husband and I in the ministry that we've been called to. We started our church, St. John's Downtown Houston, um, 28 years ago with nine members. And in about seven years, it grew to 3,000 members from about 150 zip codes around the city of Houston. So when I say diversity, it comes from a long way. Um, And when I say that I've had the experience of reaping the benefits of civil rights in many ways, having a father and a mother who uh, believed it was important for my sister and I to not be afraid to live in a world that was dominated 
by political systems and authoritarian systems that weren't necessarily favorable to black and brown people. And so they have given me a measure, I think, of courage, but they've also given me a measure of hope. Well, Juanita, I know you're not going to bring this up, but I'm just curious. There's a there's a trivia fact floating around that you might have a connection to uh, one Beyonce. Yeah. <laughs> 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 let me let me tell you how that started. Well, uh, let's see. About 35 years ago, I needed to get my hair done, and so I went to a, a salon called Headliners, and the owner of the salon was none other than Tina Knowles at the time. Now, wow. And so long story short, Tina brought her children to St. John's in those early days. And so we have literally, you know, kind of raised our family side by side through uh, our connection at St. John's and through her having been my hairstylist for all those years. So that is a great, beautiful relationship. Well, I mean, your book, Learning to Be, is part of InterVarsity Press's spiritual formation line called Formatio. Um, so I'm curious, can you let our listeners know, how did you first get connected with this area of spiritual formation? Well, let me tell you, it started um, about, oh, gracious, back in 1997. Uh, my husband introduced me to Richard Foster uh, through a conference that was held here in Houston. And Richard heard about the work that we did at St. John's and how we were engaged with, uh, at the time, providing meals and services to the homeless community in and around downtown Houston. At that point, we were serving about 500 meals a day. Well, Richard saw the work we were doing and said, hey, we need need you to be to to work with our ministry team. And so Rudy said, not me. You want my wife. And so (laughs) that's really how I got connected with Renovari and with the spiritual formation conversation. But in connecting with Richard, I then was connected to Dallas Willard and James Bryan Smith and others who have, Emily Griffin, who have written for the InterVarsity Press family. And so really that's kind of how it developed for me. I started serving on the Renovari ministry team and then ultimately on the board. And that's how I got involved with spiritual mm-hmm. formation. And it's also how I met Cindy Bunch. <laughs> World famous IVP editor, yes. That's it. That's it. <laughs> well, you know, we love to talk about how the process of the book happened and how your writing journey even began. And so can you talk a little bit about maybe the role of other people in your life when you were pursuing writing? Did your parents or your family or your husband play a role in influencing you to you to write? Let me tell you what happened, perpetuated the writing. Uh, I preach every other Sunday at St. John's at that point anyway. And so I was always writing sermons, of course, right? In about the seventh year of ministry at St. John's, I experienced a major depressive episode and it took me out of life uh, for almost three years. And so uh, initially that period of time uh, found me bedridden 18 to 20 hours a day, uh, sleeping, unable to get out of bed. I began to get therapy. I began to take medication to begin to uh, try to what I thought was going to be recover my life. But the reality was I was experiencing not only depression, I was experiencing a dark night of the soul. And so it wasn't going to be about recovering a life. It was going to be about creating a new life. And so in that process, I had this very strong sense that I was supposed to take notes. 
And so um, when I got to a point where I was conscious enough and had the capacity mentally to begin to just kind of jot down a few things that I was learning, I realized that at some point I would probably write a book. That didn't happen for 20 years later, three years ago when I actually wrote the book. But I've written this book three times because the first time I wrote it as journaling, just journaling my experience, journaling my awakenings, journaling moments where uh, I realized that I had gotten my life with God all wrong um, and coming to some awarenesses about that and, and how that had impacted every area of my life. And that became the place where I began to try to be more conscious about writing and so the first time it was the journals. The second time I wrote it was about nine years ago. I felt as though I didn't, I wasn't confident in my writing ability and my writing skills. I wasn't a disciplined writer other than the, the years of writing sermons. And so I thought, well, maybe I should get a ghostwriter to help me. And so I hired a ghostwriter that in the end, it didn't work. And it didn't work because it wasn't my voice. And it wasn't the nuance of my own experience um, bled onto each page of that book. And so uh, three years ago, I was given the opportunity to care for my uh, grandchild, my three-year-old grandson, Jaden. And so my husband and I agreed I would stay in Indianapolis for six months. And then at the end of the six months, the daycare was available. And in that time, the spirit said very clearly, you're here to do two things. You're here to care for Jaden and you're here to write your book. Now you asked if there was anybody along the way that was encouraging me. There were lots of people, my husband being primary. And then various people would say to me, there's a book in you. You should be writing or, you know, and, and so finally I got to a point where I just said, do me a favor. Anybody that asked me about the book, I'd ask them to say, how's the writing coming? Mm. And so I would have these people for years. <laughs> Finally, Cindy Bunch would meet me once a year at an Apprentice Institute conference or at a Renovari event. And she would say, Juanita, we need your voice in spiritual formation. And so once a year, I would hear her voice. And then finally, three years ago, I called her and I said, hey, let's talk. I think I'm ready. And she met me for coffee and the rest, as they say, is a beautiful history. You know, I want to hear more about that story of Cindy Bunch chasing you down. Um, so I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about it more, but we're going to take a quick break right now. And when we return, we'll talk about Juanita's journey to getting published. And so stay tuned. And thanks for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast. Ed, we are still stuck in this global pandemic and we have no idea how long this will take. And so I'm sure everyone is wondering how we can thrive through these challenging days. It won't surprise you to know that we think reading is a great way to feed your heart, mind and soul. And IVP can help. Visit everyvoicenow.com and you'll find new and forthcoming releases from IVP by authors of color. And stay tuned for a special discount on today's featured book. Welcome back to the Every Voice Now podcast. I'm Ed Gilbreth, and with us today is our guest, Juanita Rasmus, author of Learning to Be. Juanita, let's talk a little bit about your journey to reach this point of actually publishing a book. And 
all that goes into sort of the the mechanics and the business of of publishing. You talked about how uh, your editor Cindy Cindy Bunch was on your case for for a long time before you finally brought it all together. But help us understand what how how the actual book idea took shape. I mean, you have your your own story, but how did you shape it and form it in your mind into a book? When it came to the book, in in some ways. Um, the spirit was kind of giving me guidance along the way that there were two main things to talk about. One was my experience of depression, but under that, what set me up for the depression was this notion that I had had from a child about my identity and that my identity could only be justified or my being could only be justified if I could be a good little girl, if I could make good grades in school, if I could be uh, responsive and responsible. And I had this great sense of being responsible uh, for my cousins and my sister. And so I was always that kid adult, you know, who's not really playing, you're just making sure all the kids are safe and that if you need them, you know where they are, you know, that kind of thing. And so that was kind of crazy making for me as a kid and, and obviously for my cousin based on the feedback I got. Uh, but, but what God revealed to me as I was preparing the writing process was that I needed to talk about identity formation and the things that had been forming my identity that set me up, if you will, for the depressive episode. For me, our mental health and our physical health are always reflective of what's going on with us emotionally. In my case, with the diagnosis of depression, it showed up in both places. I started having all these physical symptoms along with the, the collapse, if you will, of my thinking faculties. But now in reflection, after the book has been published, I realized that I wanted to help tear down the walls of shame and stigma around a mental health diagnosis. One of the things that happened for me at the time, and it was extremely devastating, my therapist, who is now a dear friend of mine, uh, one day he said, Juanita, you will have to live with this for the rest of your life. And when he said that, I felt the voice of doom. Oh my God, I'm going to have to live with how horrible I feel. I'm going to have to live with this lack of energy, this lack of uh, cognitive function, this lack of clarity. I'm going to have to, I'm trapped in this. And that's what I heard. That's not what he was saying. It took me a number of years to recognize that wasn't what he was saying. What he was saying was, is that based on your experience, the learnings you get from this will be gifts to you for the rest of your life. But I didn't hear it that way. And so one of the things that came to me um, and was very clear is that if I would be a student of this experience, that I would get treasures out of the darkness, as Isaiah 45 says. You were writing this long before COVID, of course. Did you have a, a target audience in mind, a particular type of reader that you were writing to during that, that experience? You know, when, when you're working with an editor, one of the first things in the book proposal is, who is your target audience? <laughs> <laughs> 
And, and you know, I kept saying it's everybody because everybody at some point is going to have the rug of life pulled from under their feet. And, you know, editors don't like to hear that. So, <laughs> You know, I think we came up with some target audience, but the reality is COVID-19 affirms what I knew. And that is we're all going to experience some place in our life where we move from a certain kind of orientation in our life to a disorientation. And so learning to be is about moving through that space of disorientation until glimmers of new orientation began to show up. What was the most surprising uh, thing about the publishing process for you? How long it took. (laughs) 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 Uh, I remember uh, Cindy saying to me, so I guess it was in 2017. She said, well, the book should come out in 2020. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that's how long it takes to have an elephant baby. (laughs) (laughs) And yet I now understand Mm. why it takes that amount of time because um, having a book, birthing a book is like um, if you were building a house, it's the laying of the foundation, but it's not the decorating of the rooms. And so there's that process where foundation gets laid and walls get put in and then begin to determine colors on the walls and what aesthetic you want in the room. And so all of that is a part of why it takes, you know, 18 months or longer. I don't even know if 18 months is the standard, but um, I see that now and uh, I value that process of refinement, that process of discernment, that process of even some words that I wanted to say that um, we negotiated on. <laughs> right, right. I hear you. So after going through that, that journey, what, what is one piece of advice you would want to offer to writers, especially writers of color who wish to become published authors? I would say, number one, write every day about what's important to you. Um, because I think the bottom line is our writing is about um, uh, some aspect of our passion, some aspect of our our um, sense of self, um, some aspect of our own unique story, because our storyline is in our work, no matter what that work is. Um, and so I would say write every day about what's passionate to you. Um, I can't say that I do. I do not write every day. But I've often heard uh, from great writers that they write every day. So I'm giving you the stuff great writers, you know, talk about. Um, uh, the other <laughs> thing I would say is find publishers that value your voice. Not every publisher does. My husband has published three books, and I'm not certain that his publishers valued his voice. Um, I've been shown by InterVarsity Press that my voice is valued. Well, thank you, Anita. We, we need to take one more break, but when we return, we'll continue our conversation with Juanita Rasmus and why she was the right person to have written Learning to Be. But first, it's time for our Behind the book segment, where we pull back the curtain and find out more of the story behind the scenes at IVP. Today, you'll hear from Cindy Bunch, Juanita's <laughs> favorite editor. <laughs> so uh, take a listen. Listen. 
Hi, I'm Cindy Bunch. I am the director of the editorial department and the associate publisher. I've been at InterVarsity Press for 31 years. And um, my particular emphasis in terms of editorial work is the Formatio line, which is our line of spiritual formation books. First time I heard Juanita speak was about 11 years ago at a large Renovari conference in San Antonio. I had known of Juanita and had previously heard her husband Rudy speak at an event. It was about 11 years from first meeting her till we had the book. We, we would continue talking uh, from time to time and connecting over email and phone and uh, with some visits. And she also wrote a couple more articles uh, for, with Conversations Journal, which I worked on with her as well. Juanita is, is a really fine speaker. She also brings an unusual mix of having had the training in spiritual formation that m- many of our Formatio authors have, including being trained as a spiritual director, but also being a pastor in predominantly African-American church context. And so I was really fascinated by those t- two strands that she brought together. One of the key questions she was grappling with was whether or not this was a memoir. And so we talked about that numerous times. And so when she showed me what she'd written, I thought it could be put together as a book with a really strong narrative voice, but also with some of the wisdom she had gained from her own experience of recovering and teaching. So it's a mix of styles where at times she she writes out her inner thoughts, which I love in kind of a, a really narrative flow kind of way. And I, I wanted to protect that voice, which I really like, but also where she takes on a more of a teaching voice and tells the reader how they can also deal with difficult times in, in their lives and times of depression or stress. I did notice that Juanita was one of the few speakers or people of color that I would see at spiritual formation events. Uh, I knew that our line of books needed more diverse perspectives. So I was drawn to her. I also wanted to learn more about her and her attraction to the world of spiritual formation. I thought maybe she could help me and IBP understand how to reach a more diverse audience of readers with spiritual formation teaching. I love that This book walks you through spiritual practices like Lectio Divina or Finding Stillness at a Catholic retreat center, which is similar to other Formatio authors. But then she tells a story about listening to the Funky Larry and the Morning Crew drive time radio show in the book. And she mixes in quotes from people like Dallas Willard, who appear often in our Formatio books, alongside Howard Thurman. As a matter of fact, working with Juanita prompted me to read more Howard Thurman. I have expected that readers would love discovering Juanita, and that indeed seems seems to be the case so far as the book launches. Her writing is wonderful, but there's much more to her that I hope people discover. She's got a beautiful speaking and teaching voice. So I look forward to seeing readers receive her book and her ministry. You're listening to the Every Voice Now podcast, and I'm Myla Kim. And today we've been talking with Juanita Rasmus, author of Learning to Be, which is available wherever books are sold. Juanita, let's talk more about your voice and the importance of your voice to this conversation that you're contributing in your book. Why does your particular ethnic voice matter in the subject that your book is covering? What I I realize is that in the area of spiritual formation, 
I was looking for the African-American writers. And only in more recent years did I even find Howard Thurman. Um, and so I'm grateful to know that there are some African-American pioneers there, Howard Thurman being one of them. He was the mystic and the prolific writer during the, the 1940s and 50s. And he was an influence on um, Martin Luther King and many of the activists of the civil rights era uh, saw him as kind of their spiritual director, if you will. And I am honored to find his work and to have it speak to my soul. You know, there are some things that are innate in any culture that don't necessarily translate in other cultures. So as an example, silence and the practice of silence and solitude. Um, my grandfather sat on the front porch every day for a few minutes after he would get home from work. I never imagined that that was a spiritual practice until I had it named for me. And so, so often those of us who are not who are non-white can feel as though the practices that we've uh, been exposed to have not uh, been innately ordained, let's say, okay, by mainstream uh, Christianity. And yet those practices have gotten us through, but we just didn't know that, oh yeah, that's what spiritual formation looks like in our community. When this mother in the neighborhood is able to help correct every child <laughs> on the block and it's under that that's okay. Yeah. You know, um, there, there are ways of being that simply um, don't get named. And if we don't name our own ways of being, no one can name them for us. I love that because I, I believe it was Trillia Newbell who said, not every per person of color needs to write on race. We can write about leadership and spiritual formation and all things like that too. And so having you as an African-American author writing about spiritual formation, so inspiring and so good to see. And so the next question I want to ask you is, what is it about you that made you the absolute right person to write this book at this time? That's a a great question. If You know, the bottom line is I had nothing to do with the timing. All I could do was birth the story. And so, you know, when conception happens with a baby, I don't think people engage in the sexual act thinking, okay, nine months from today, we're going to celebrate the birth of this child. They come together because there's hopefully love and commitment and desire for life to be manifested, you know? Um, and so for me, this book came out of a place of my commitment to help normalize the experience of mental health diagnosis, my commitment that there would be a contemporary voice talking about the dark night of the soul and one that would be accessible to young people, one that would be accessible to black and brown people, one that would be accessible because not everybody knows about St. John of the Cross and his writing on the dark night of the soul. But I can help bring that insight forward by sharing my story and sharing my experience. Um, so the timing was out of my control, uh, but why I was the right person? Um, I just have to assume 
And for me, it's not a, a big leap to assume that this was just a part of synchronicity, if you want to call it that. It was a it was the spirit's work and the spirit's timing. Because it could have been anybody. Anybody could have told this story. Juanita, how can the church do better to find and listen to voices like yours? Now you ask a heck of a question there. <laughs> I think one of the things that can happen is that um, publishers, and if you want to say the, the universal church, has to create formats and forums that invite the writer's voice, but not just the writer's voice, that invite the artist, the creative, to bring their gifts uh, someplace where uh, there is a forum, a space, uh, the reason Cindy and I connected was because Cindy heard me speak at Renovare conferences. But I have often been the only African-American in the room at many of the conferences. I think that Every Voice Now is a great example and a wonderful model of what it means for us to create platforms that allow Black and Brown and Yellow uh, artists and writers to present our gifts to the world. We have to be intentional, I think, as the church to do that. Uh, my husband right now is working on a project where he has about 12 writers and he's editing this book. And again, with the intention of highlighting these voices that are speaking in our community, but if there's not access to um, these resources like IVP, like every voice now, those voices won't get heard. And we have to put ourselves in places where we can hear those voices and see the artwork and see the expressions that are um, coming forth. Because right now is a pivotal time. Whenever you experience um, a global anything, and it's in this case, a global pandemic, you can be assured that there are some voices that are raising up. There's some art being created that's manifesting um, the, 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 the rhythms of what's happening right now. You have to put your ear to the ground to hear the drums. In terms of your own personal reading list right now, are there uh, other voices that the church should be paying attention to? Some up and coming voices that you're aware of? Um, I would definitely say check out Dr. Barbara Holmes as an African-American woman, theologian. Check out Rizma Menachem's work, because I think between the two, you'll have a good, solid something to work with. And then again, Howard Thurman. Howard Thurman rings so relevant right now, his disciplines of the spirit. So when I, so as an example, I got to tell you this right quick. When <laughs> I was working on my master's and writing my dissertation, I wanted to talk about suffering as the spiritual practice nobody wanted. And, and my dissertation committee was like, well, you know, suffering really isn't a practice. I said, I'll be damned if it's not. All right. <laughs> you have practice, all right. And so I talked about that. I got the courage to talk about it because Howard Thurman had already talked about suffering as a discipline of the spirit. You see, we we our culture grants us insight to naming some things that every culture doesn't necessarily name. 
the beauty of what 1 Corinthians talks about, about the body of Christ, is that if we would come together as the body, then the things we've been lacking on one side, we would gain from the other. Yes, yes. The, the places where we've been lacking insight and understanding and trying to put this puzzle of life together and we keep missing a piece. So if we could come together, bringing all of our gifts, all of our resources, and we could begin to value them, we would see that everything we have been missing is already wow. present. Yes. It's already here because that's how God operates. There is no deficiency. But if we are not able and willing to listen to one another, then we cannot help create the all-inclusive community of loving persons that God has been trying to form from Genesis to Revelations to now. Dallas Willard says that that God is seeking to create this all-inclusive community of loving persons with God as chief sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. Wow, that's what you call a mic drop. (laughs) 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 Well, Juanita, it's been an honor to have you on our show. Can you please share with our listeners how they can reach you or follow you? Oh, absolutely. My name is Juanita, J-U-A. N-I-T-A, the last name is Rasmus, R-A-S-M-U-S. And you can go to JuanitaRasmus.com. You can find me on Instagram, Juanita Rasmus, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. (laughs) It's been such a joy and an honor to be with you all today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Likewise, thank you so much, Juanita. Thank you, Juanita. And just a note for our listeners that you can find Juanita's book at ivypress.com. And if you use the promo code EVN40, you can get 40% off and free U.S. shipping. So that's a great way to get a great deal on Juanita's book. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast brought to you by IVP. Our producer is Helen Lee, and our sound engineer is Jonathan Clausen. If you are enjoying our show, we'd be grateful if you'd share about it with your friends. Please review and recommend us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And we love getting your feedback, so get in touch with us with your comments, critiques, or questions. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Every Voice Now, or you can email us at evn at ivypress.com. And join us next time for another inspiring episode of Every Voice Now.